Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and are back to the Echo Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Treese, and we're officially getting back into the swing of things here. Last week's episode, I gave you guys a bunch of updates on where I've been, what's been happening with the break and the animals and all that good stuff, and this week is all about you guys instead of me. So um, I think I have eight patron questions that I am going to go over and answer today. Some of them are going to be quite long reads. So, you know, maybe this is a good episode for you to listen to when you're on a trail ride or walking your dog, cleaning some stalls, making up feed, whatever you have to do, clean some tack, you know, this would be a good one for you to just mindlessly listen to because there's going to be a lot of reading and a lot of me answering. So um, I'm probably also going to have to take breaks during this episode because it's a long one. Um, And of course, as in typical Jill style, I'm recording it the night before it has to go up. But um, I've got some stuff I want to cover before we get into all of this. So let's go ahead and roll the intro music and get into it. Okay, here we go. So as you guys may have noticed, and thank you to everyone who let me know, the episode did not get up on Spotify until I think yesterday or today, (laughs) Um, last week's episode. So it's been almost a whole week that it hasn't been up when it was supposed to be up. Um, But yeah, so the new upload date is Wednesdays for the podcast, which means I have to change everywhere that it says Tuesday. But I, I, I just need to have an extra day now. My schedule has changed and Tuesday nights seem to be the best nights for me to record at present. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll just keep it on Tuesday. Maybe I'll get better about recording earlier, but I just, I don't know. So either Tuesday or Wednesday, that's, that's what we'll say. It'll be up every Tuesday, possibly Wednesday. We don't know. (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. Um, but anyway, so, um, there was an issue with, um, Spotify for some reason because when I was on Buzzsprout there's a special little code called an RSS feed that was unique to Buzzsprout and so when I moved podcast to Podbean uh, nowhere else had an issue with it I don't know why Spotify was the only one that had an issue and I don't know if I'm missing something but episode five of season four which is the most recent one just uploaded everywhere else except for episode five or on Spotify so um, I had to resubmit and do all this but now it's up um, so I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. And there was also an issue with the YouTube thing, but, um, that was operator error. I just didn't realize it uploaded it as a private video. I thought it would schedule it, but okay. You know what? Growing pains. We're getting there. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I think I've got it all sorted. So hopefully this one will be up when it is supposed to be, where it is supposed to be. But, um, yeah, I think that is about all I've got to say before we get into the ads, except, um, a little bit more information because the ad that you will hear is over Patreon. So um, that's what we're doing today is an example of what you'll hear in the ad. If you become a patron at any tier level, um, I think I have 5 through $35 a month. You can cancel at any time. Um, and you can submit questions at the uh, $10 tier and up. You can submit as many as you'd like, but at the $5 tier, you can submit one question. It can be as long as you want it to be, and I will read it here on the podcast. Um, just be sure that if you do want to become a patron and um, 
you want to ask a question that you include in your message your preferred pronouns and whether or not you want me to say your name or what have you. Um, so yeah, it also, I think it would be cool if you guys could start including like where you're from. Uh, when I listen to podcasts like the Psychology in Seattle podcast, when they're like, well, patron Anna from Arizona, I'm like, ah, Arizona, that's an interesting place. Like, I want to know where you're from. Um, not in a creepy way. You can just say the state. Please don't give me your address. That's uncomfortable. But, um, you know, if you're comfortable with it, something that you're interested in, you could say the Midwest or the U.S. or Norway, wherever you're from, um, you know. Uh, but if you're not comfortable with that, don't do it. Um, anyway, so I don't read last names on here also, but yeah, I will be happy to, uh, read and answer your question here live on the podcast. And like I said, you can literally pay $5 to write me a like wildly long question and I'll answer it here on the podcast. So, um, I do answer them all. Sometimes it takes longer than I'd like for it to, but it will get answered, and um, at the higher tiers, you can have phone call consults, which might be a little bit easier. And um, this month of June, we usually tend to do them towards the end of June or the end of the month. We have live monthly Q&As where you guys can join me on a Zoom call and we will, you know, just they, sometimes they usually just end up being three to four hour long chill conversations where everybody's just talking about random stuff. Um, but sometimes, uh, you know, they at least start out <laughs> with horse questions. And um, the the fun part about that is you don't just get my input on it as well. You know, um, I, I have specific areas of expertise. And as I'm, you know, gradually increasing my knowledge base and learning more and more, there are other people that have other horses that have experienced specific issues. So they might be better experienced in a given area than I am. And mine might be more theoretical than, you know, like practical, like I've had an application in that setting. Um, so you can also get other people's input in, uh, in those. And that's at the $10 tier and higher, but all of that information is available at patreon.com slash equitheory. And I'll insert the full ad so you guys can hear everything in a more sensical manner. But after that, then we'll get into the questions. Okay, guys, when you become a patron of the podcast by joining at patreon.com slash equitheory, you'll gain access to all kinds of opportunities to benefit you and your horse. Being an equitheory patron means that you're able to gain a like-minded community of progressive equestrians via our Discord server, ask your burning training questions, and have them answered on the podcast, live monthly Q&A Zoom events, and the option to schedule phone call consults with me to help you work through a behavioral or training-related issue, and at the very highest here, the option to submit up to 30 minutes of video per month for me to review and critique. You can break it up however you would like. So the Patreon is set up to accommodate budgets and you're free to cancel at any time penalty free. So become a patron of the podcast today. Help me and the horses and help yourself. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's do it. Okay, Um, so I'm just going to jump right into these. Uh, and see, my intro didn't even take 10 whole minutes today. I am so good at podcasting. Oh, my God. <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding. Um, I have Wally in my lap, and I'm trying to hold him back from tackling my keyboard. You're being so annoying, and I love you, but I have a guy so freaking cute. It makes my teeth. I want to squeeze him. Um, he's my little orange. I love him dearly. Please stop. Just, just be comfy in my lap or go away. He sits on the floor and he taps me with his hand because I taught him to high five, which is arguably the cutest and worst thing I've ever done in my life. And he just sits there on the floor and gently taps me over and over and over again, occasionally meows and um, eventually jumps up into my lap unwarranted and then leaves. It's just a whole cycle and I don't know what he wants from me except pets, but he wants to be on my desk also. And um, I just, I don't know. I don't know what he needs. <laughs> anyway, now I'm going to answer your questions and tell you what your horse needs. Um, these are jokes. I don't know. Um, and that does actually lead me into saying, um, I'm prefacing this episode by saying I am not a veterinarian, nor am I certified yet as a behavior consultant. I am practicing as one. Um, and um it's something that I'm pursuing my certification in, and I'm hoping to get at some point over the next year. It's really just going to depend on when I have time, because I would like to go for it now, but I'm having to force myself to not because I have too many other obligations uh, that take up too much time, and I physically can't, um, like my master's <laughs> program. But um, yeah, so you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt. Each horse is an individual. And, um, you know, should you choose to act on the advice or recommendations that I am giving you, please be sure to corroborate the information yourself and, um, you know, do your own research and due diligence before you act out anything. I, It's a podcast. I can point you in the right direction, give you some ideas, get you some things to think about. But at the end of the day, it is going to be your responsibility to, um, you know, learn and recognize signs in your horse. Um, and, you know, this podcast is designed to help you be able to do that. But, um, you know, don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. Um, you know, <laughs> if, if I'm, if your horse is having issues picking up their feet and I give you some advice and when you go to catch your horse that day, they charge you out of the fence and try biting at you, you know, let's not take the advice on the podcast and pick up their feet today. Okay, let's do something else. <laughs> I think most of you guys have got that, but you know, for legal reasons, let's start covering that. Okay. I'm not liable. That's what I'm saying. Um, and that was liable, not libel. I skipped a syllable. It's fine. Let's let's move into the first question here. Okay, so it would appear we actually have seven questions. I was wrong. I'm sorry I lied. Um, the first question comes from patron Tori. Tori writes, hi, I'm Tori. I would like to get into positive reinforcement training. I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts on it, and I'm excited to get started. So I'm about to buy a two-year-old that I already take care of named Tango and would like to start him with a good foundation. 
I don't know of any trainers who that oh my god who use positive reinforcement around here and I don't understand the process entirely I recently introduced Tango to my trainer and told her that he is mouthy and playful. She immediately started hitting him and telling me how it's bad, causes aggression in the future, etc., and that he is just doing it out of playfulness and thinks it's a game when you hit him back. I was... What? Okay. I was... <laughs> I was wondering what would be better solutions to help with the biting. Thank you. Okay. So, um, let me break this down. Okay. So, he's a two-year-old... Uh, that you want to get started with a good foundation. Um, I'm assuming he's gelded. Um, if not, that is generally the quickest solution to uh, resolving some mouthy behavior. Um, but assuming that that has happened, um, then, okay, so you don't know any trainers that use positive reinforcement around here. So I'll go ahead and um, discuss a new resource that I put up on the website. So for those of you who don't know, I have a website. It's called jetequitheory.com. Jet or is my initials, J-E-T, and then Equitheory. And if you just go to my website and type or tap on the equine edu education tab, then you can click on positive reinforcement and scroll down. And on that page, you'll find a map that says uh, find a trainer near you. And it's a map of every positive reinforcement trainer that uh, trains horses that we are aware of um, and that has submitted to this. So um, there's a Facebook group called Clicker Training Horses. And the the admin of that group has made this map. So um, like I said, just go to jetequithery.com, equine.edu, positive reinforcement page, and then scroll down and you'll find find the map there. Um, so if you, if, if you just don't really know if anybody's in your area, that might be something good to look on if you haven't looked online yet, or if you, um, you know, maybe just haven't had any luck, double check that and see if you can find anyone near you. Um, and also to what Tori says about not understanding the process entirely, the positive reinforcement page on my website also has like, oh my God, so many so many articles we have um like i have different resource pages that has a glossary that explains all of the terms that you need to know uh, to get you started um i have a bunch of positive reinforcement books that you can look into videos podcasts equipment online courses online communities like everything you need to get started i have got it plugged into that website all in one place because um you know, it's hard when you first get started. And for me, when I first started, I had no idea where to find all of this information. Thankfully, I was working pretty closely with the Willing Equine, uh, Adele Shaw. And she, you know, after <laughs> I asked her so many questions, oh my God. Um, but finally, um, you know, I started to get a grasp on everything. And then I was like, why isn't this out here? Like, why is there not an area where people can just go and find all of this stuff? And, um, I see so many of you tagging my website and tagging me on like Twitter and Instagram and saying like jetequitheory.com has resources on getting started with clicker training. Jetequitheory.com will tell you, you know, everything about positive reinforcement. Like that's exactly what I wanted it to be. And it makes me so happy <laughs> that it's like actually helping people. 
Um, so, you know, if you guys are out in Facebook groups or on Twitter or Instagram, YouTube, whatever, and you see somebody, you know, struggling with a problem behavior, you could point them in the direction of the website. Generally, I recommend doing that very carefully. But if somebody is explicitly asking for resources on positive reinforcement, feel free to link them to my website because that is exactly what it's there for. Um, and if you haven't looked at it yourself, please do. Um, but anyway, that will get you started on everything. But, uh, you know, in the beginning, it is a lot to take in, <laughs> like a lot. Um, so I understand not feeling super confident with it in the beginning. So uh, you've introduced Tango to your trainer and told her he's mouthy and playful. And she started hitting him and telling me how it's bad. It causes aggression in the future. Um, so... I'm a little bit confused on the wording of this question because I'm not sure if you're saying that the mouthy playfulness will cause aggression in the future or hitting him will cause aggression in the future because she started hitting him, but then she said he is just doing it out of... Oh, wait, no. She started hitting him, but you, Tori, are saying he's just doing it out of playfulness and thinks it's a game. Okay. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Um, Shauna Karish actually has an episode um, that covers this issue, the Clicker Training 101 or Horse Clicker Training 101, something like that. It's her podcast um, talks about working with mouthy, bitey young horses. But um, and I actually have an episode, I think it was in season one or two on biting. I actually think I have a few episodes on biting. Um, and a video on my YouTube, but the video might be a little bit outdated at this point. But, um, yeah, so, um, first things first, um, I would stop working with that trainer because I mean, like it, it depends on you personally, it, whatever you want, you know, whoever's in your area, what your goals are for your horse if, um, if it were me in this situation and my trainer, if I told her that my horse is being mouthy and playful and she immediately started hitting my horse and, um, I would be like, uh, no, thank you. I'm going to pass. <laughs> I will find another trainer who, uh, doesn't just automatically jump to that. Um, I should hope that at least he was actually doing the undesirable behavior when she started hitting him and not just like randomly. Um, but punishment is, is punishment is tricky because the problem is that a, your timing has to be bang on for it to make sense. Like you have to punish within nearly within the same second um for the animal really to connect like this oh this behavior causes that thing that I don't like the punishment um so if if it's taking any time at all you're it's it's not working um b the biggest problem with punishment is that it it does not give the animal something to do instead so um Okay, so you have a colt that is biting and um, you punish him, but he is maybe biting because he's teething or because he needs a playmate or because he doesn't have, you know, an enrichment activity to let that, you know, that urge 
natural instinct urge out, then he's still going to need to do it. <laughs> and so, like, there, there are a few different reasons for biting, like I just said. It could be teething. It could be um, a natural instinct. Um, it could be due to things like ulcers or a pain and discomfort response. Um, it could be to lack of enrichment, lack of play. And I think it is really, 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 really tragic that this trainer is, um, hitting him because if like, and I don't know because I'm not in this situation, I haven't seen it, but, um, play is such a huge part of a young horse's development socially and confidence wise and, and like just having an enriching, fulfilling life. So in order, like, it's just unfortunate to me that that is being met with pain and punishment um, when it just needs to be redirected and learn to happen in a specific context because that's what play is all about, right? I mean, like play is about having fun and enrichment and social engagement and it also works to, you know, practice fighting behaviors and mating behaviors, general social behaviors, um, and like it's just, it serves a wide variety of purposes. It's not just to practice you know, fighting or mating or things like that, but it, it can be. And, um, or at least it, um, feigns them. That might be too big of a word for the podcast. Um, it not mocks mimics, I guess, mimics them. Um, so, you know, there, it's a, it's a crucial part of being a young horse and having that just met with aggression is not fantastic. Um, so like, I don't know if you're riding other horses with this trainer or what the deal is, but, um, you know, you're trying to get into positive reinforcement training. So I would recommend taking your two-year-old, if you are able to a more neutral location, um, you know, maybe just like a, a backyard barn where you can do what you want with your horse and the people will respect your rules, um, or a different set up where you're not really riding with the trainer that runs the barn or whatever. I don't know if that's what's happening in this situation, but, um, if you're boarding him where your trainer is, um, that can easily become a difficult situation because they will feel the need to intercept when you're not asking for it <laughs> essentially. Um, so, uh, it's just, it's unfortunate, but okay. So what would I do? Um, the, f like the first solution or first place my mind goes to is your antecedents. Um, what is coming before the biting? So obviously this is not a very long message, which is really is a catch 22 because I feel like people don't love me reading the super long messages on here. I don't love reading the super long messages, but at the same time in the short ones, I don't have all the information. So it's kind of hard to, um, know what to go off of. And also it makes my response a lot more general than specific. But anyway, uh, we will trudge, we will forge ahead, trudge on. Um, so let's see. The first things I would do is with antecedent arrangement is look at his environment. Is he stalled? Is he out 24-7? Is he out 24-7 with horses that he is friends with? Is he out with young horses who will play with him? Um, these are things that I would really take a look at, um, and change if you can. 
I know that sometimes with, um, you know, like depending on your area, it can be difficult to find barns that are like that do have 24 seven pasture access, but, um, that is a very good way to just kind of let that behavior have an outlet, um, where you don't have to directly train it because if you have a two-year-old that is say stalled and, um, you know, like, I don't know, he's stalled and he goes out during the day or at night and he's out with a bunch of old crones or he's out by himself or what have you, like it's, he's not going to have an outlet for play. So of course he's going to want to play with the human. <laughs> that's like his, his only source of interaction. And especially if you've got positive reinforcement happening, he's got all these good endorphins. He's like, yes, let's do it. So um, that would be my first thing is to take a look at management and make sure that you're meeting all of his needs there first. Um, you know, like I said, I would, I would prefer they be out 24-7 and with similar age. Like, um, I think it's it's the best situation when you have a couple of older ones and some younger ones uh, or with the younger ones. So there is some education happening and it's not just Lord of the Flies out in the field. Um, but yeah, so if that's possible, that would be something I would do. You know, see if you can find a situation where there are young horses that you can put him out with them so that they can run and play and be stupid. And that way you don't have to be <laughs> that outlet. Um, and there are some things that you can do training wise. Um, so a lot of that would be focusing on what you do want. Okay. So you don't want him to bite. Your trainer's solution is to hit him and essentially say, no, don't do that. Okay, so now the horse says, okay, I'm not supposed to do that, but I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to, I have to keep doing that because I'm trying to express something here. It's not being heard and I have no other way of communicating this. So you as the owner and trainer are tasked with the responsibility of, you know, possibly figuring out why if it's not just play. Um, so, you know, like I said, that would be looking into health reasons for doing it. Um, and if it is just play, then you are going to need to teach the young horse how to um, behave appropriately. So just like out in the field when, um, you know, there's social learning happening and they're playing and whatnot, the, the older horses and herd members and even some of the younger peers and whatnot will communicate, I need my space, don't come that close, or okay, you can approach me like this, I would prefer you not be on that side of me, come to this side. You know, they, they have all of these subtle signs uh, and ways of communicating, so, um, and he's out there all the time learning from them, assumedly, let's hope. Um, so for you, you're going to have to do the same thing, but us humans, you know, we usually only have like I don't know what, 10 to 45 minutes with our horses. <laughs> so it's a little bit more challenging for them to learn uh, as fast. So it might take a couple of sessions, but you need to concentrate on what you do want him to do. So you don't want him to bite you. Why is he biting you? Because maybe he wants to play. We need to figure out a way 
to have him communicate that he is in the mood to play and a way for you to communicate whether that's okay or not. Or if, um, you know, a simpler route might be just to teach him how to be really successful at being calm. And so if you notice those behaviors, um, well, it's, it's hard to, cause I know that I know the correct way or the way that I would go about it, but it gets a little bit sticky with start button cues and whatnot, because you don't want him to get playful and start nipping. And then you to be like, okay, we need to, you know, reroute the session here and let you go play for a little bit. Um, and that be his cue for, I want to get out. So, you know, I would do some looking into start button cues. Um, there are some great podcasts and blogs out there on this topic, but um, I'm not going to go super deep into it here because I've already spent a really long time on this question. Um, but yeah, so I mean, for sake of time and simplicity, look into that, but um, really, really focus on what do you want out of him. So you don't want him biting you or mouthing at you. What would you rather him do in that situation? Do you want him to have his mouth shut? Where does his head need to be? Do you do you want it in your space, out of your space? Do you want all four feet on the floor? Do you want him walking? Do you want him moving backwards? Like wh- what do you want out of the behavior? And then you can work up to, all right, let's break this all the way down into teeny tiny bite-sized pieces and gradually work up as we raise our criteria and teach him how to behave around humans in an appropriate way. Because beating him is like, okay, we say beating into submission, but there is no submission. The horse doesn't even know what he's submitting to. He's just stopped behaving. And that's not what we want. (laughs) Um, We want the horse to behave, and it's great that he is as vibrant as he is. You want to preserve that and keep that. But Um, you know, teach how you want him to respond in these situations because um, animals and people alike perform the behaviors that are the most reinforcing. So if he doesn't have anything that's more reinforcing than biting and playing in a given situation for whatever reason, then he's going to keep doing that. So you need to make the things that you want him to do more reinforcing in those situations. So I hope that helps. Um, You can go back and look at the other episodes that I've done on this. Um, And like I said, Shauna Karish did an episode working with young horses about um, some of the things she does as far as like being in with them or out with them and changing that as they get playful um, that you can listen to. But yeah. Okay. Moving on to question number two here. Patron Liv writes... Hi, Jill. I actually have been in the process of getting my semi-retired horse here because I miss her and found a great place for her near me, but it took a lot of searching. She got here on Friday, and I just want to go about reconnecting with her and not overstressing her since she's still getting used to the farm. So she's basically living, been living like a feral horse for the past two and a half years, just living on pasture with other horses, and that's what she's doing here as well. So I'm taking it slow, and if she doesn't want to be caught, I won't force anything. I'm just trying to read the signals she's been giving me because it's been so long. Uh, She just had a big move, and I want to make sure I don't screw up our relationship. I was wondering if you had any tips on how to start rebuilding a bond with your horse after. It's been a while. Thanks. I hope you are doing well and Zoe's feeling good after her surgery. Thank you very much. I think she absolutely is. Thank you for saying that. Um, Sorry, burping. 
So yeah, um, okay. I, I hope the move went well, is my first thought, if she's been living like a feral horse for the past two and a half years and you mentioned that if she doesn't want to be caught, you won't force anything. Um, so I hope the move went well, because that does require catching. Um, but as far as just trying to read the signals, because it's been so long, um, A, I have to give you props on having such a compassionate approach in the beginning. Um, I feel like a lot of people are just like, okay, my horse has moved. She's closer to me. Let's do this thing. We're going to dive all the way in. Of course, Wally's on the cat tower now. Sorry for that. Um, but, and they go all the way in without any regard for like, oh my God, so much has changed. So yeah, uh, just mad props for considering those things. Um, so some things to consider as well might also be the possibility of ulcers. I feel like such a broken, broken record and you know, it's, it's not the only possibility, but, um, you know, a 20 minute trailer ride can cause ulcers in horses. doesn't mean it always does, but it can. Um, and a big move changing herds, um, being in a different location, being fed different food, different grass, different hay, all of that can be really, um, jarring for a horse. So I would, you know, have her checked for ulcers because that will lead to more issues in the future if that is not resolved. Um, but as far as, you know, just how do you rebuild a bond with your horse after it's been a while? Um, the way that I would go about it would be to first just go spend time with them without expectations. I mean, there, there are so many things that we always want to do with our horse. Um, but I think a lot of it kind of ends up being things that we want to do to our horses. And I'm guilty of this as well. I am not on my high horse here, pardon the pun, but, um, it's, it can be really difficult to slow down and dedicate your barn time to just hanging out with them and being a part of their life. But, um, you know, 90% of what horses do with other horses is just hang out and eat. So like maybe on your lunch break, just pick up food and go sit in your horse's field and eat say hi if they want, you know, I mean, and just be near them, be a, you know, at the beginning, you can just be a neutral stimulus before you start trying to, um, you know, really get into working with them and whatnot. Um, uh, I just remembered, I was going to say, as far as reading the signals that she's given you, and you know, it's been a while for you, I cannot recommend enough reading the language signs and calming signals of horses um, something in recognition. I forget what the first R word is. I think there are two in that. It's like research and recognition, maybe something, something like that. But, um, you can find it on Amazon. It was written by Raquel Dreisma. It's an amazing book. It is quite dry, but it is amazing for, um, like just putting in a very clean cut way, the indications and subtle body language cues that horses give each other and us to communicate. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that. What are you doing? I'm, oh, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm excited. I'm curious. I, I'm worried. You know, their, their, their communication is so subtle because it has to be, it can't give away anything to predators out in the wild. So they have to be very subtle with their communication, but they're all constantly picking up on that. And we don't always. So I think um, it's one of the best things you can do for your horse um, is to learn their language. So 
it's kind of difficult to connect with another human when you don't know their language and to expect them to just learn yours and without you having any regard or respect for theirs is kind of rude now. So, um, you know, maybe you get that book and go read it out in her field <laughs> and uh, just hang out with her and, the, and then watch them and see it happen in person. Um, I think one of the subtlest but most helpful things that I picked up from that book was head turns. I knew that, like in the back of my mind, I knew that that was a sign of discomfort, but I always blew past it. And, um, but now when I'm approaching a horse, if I see their head slightly shifting away from me, you know, whatever direction I'm coming from, if their head is tipping away from me, I stop in my tracks. And if it tips away fast, I back up, like, you know, uh, not because I'm afraid of the horse, but because I want to show them, like, I am not a threat. I am not trying to come at you and I will give you a moment to assess the situation and like not go over threshold. So if they like, you know, tip their heads away, that's a, oh, I'm not sure about this. And if they, you know, get their eyes kind of wide and you can see the whites of their eyes and their head really moves away, then they're like, wow, I'm really worried about this right now. I don't know. And then if I, if I kept walking and proceeding towards them, you know, quickly or I'm swinging my rope too, you know, just not paying attention to any of the signs that they're giving me, they're going to be like, whoa, nope, not safe. I'm out of here. Um, some horses aren't as sensitive, um, but a lot of them that I work with, because they tend to be young, <laughs> are, and it has been really helpful to know things like that. And that's just a, one of a myriad of behaviors like that. But um, it, it demonstrates to the horse that you, you're you're seeing them and you are respecting them and you're not a scary stimulus because when they, and I use respect also very loosely, don't, this is not natural horsemanship hour. Um, (laughs) but when you are walking up to them like that and they give us a subtle head tip and you stop or back up or drop your eyes to the ground or whatever, um, you know, maybe tip your shoulders away so that you're not fully fronting or full front facing them. Um, then they're like, oh, okay, Th- this is not scary. You know, this, this human is understanding that I'm a little bit okay, but they, they understand what I'm saying. So this is, this is safe. We can communicate. Um, and I think it's one of the fastest ways that you can really get to connect with a horse is by having them understand that you understand. Um, so beyond that, um, learning how to communicate with them, um, learning or just being with them beyond those things, what I would say is to do as much research as you can about positive reinforcement during that time. You know, like I said, my website's full of resources. You can get the books, you can just read, um, some stuff that I've written or watch some videos. I have a whole beginner's guide to positive reinforcement here on this podcast. It's a four-part series, I believe. Um, And, you know, listen to those. Maybe just do them while you're out in the field with her, you know. Um, And then eventually, once you get started with positive reinforcement, just pick a few really easy behaviors. Like, the first thing I did with Zoe was teach her how to smile. And um, that was a super fun and cute and easy behavior for both of us. And because Zoe's lip is so prehensile, like it's, it's basically a hand. So it was not hard for her to do the 
smiling motion, the flaming response. Um, but yeah, so do something that's fun and easy and that you have written down and broken down quite thoroughly. So there is nothing that will create a bad association with your horse, like not knowing what you're going to do before you go out there because you can easily be very confusing and very frustrating with clicker training. So you want to make sure that you understand how to slowly increase and raise criteria in a way that is fair to the horse. And if you're not really sure what I'm talking about, grab a buddy, a friend or a parent, another human and clicker train each other to do a few different things and see how difficult it is and how little your steps have to be. Because you can't tell them, you know, as you're clicker training them, you can't say, you're getting closer. Yep, just lift your foot. You can't do any of that. All you can do is click. You cannot nod. You cannot point. Nothing. Click. That's it. And get them to do something. And you very quickly realize how difficult it can be to... Um, to uh, raise criteria slowly enough. So, um, yep, that's what I would do. And yeah, I think that's about all I got, you know, just maybe write down a couple behaviors you'd like to do and, uh, break it down all the way to the, the behavior that they must know, um, in order to do that. Like a horse cannot trot next to you if they don't know how to walk next to you they can't do that if they maybe don't know how to target and they can't target if they don't know how to touch and they can't do any of that without learning how to have manners around food um sorry i'm popping my neck um yeah so um i hope it goes well i know it's been a while since i actually got that question both of those questions um but yeah let's move on to question number three here Patron Harley says, hello, any tips or tricks on trailer loading? My horse Daniel is fearful of the trailer and there isn't a good spot on the property to have the trailer in a fence to work at Liberty because it's so hilly. I ride traditionally, but I like to think nicer than most, lol, uh, but use positive reinforcement occasionally, sorry, I'm so burpy, to <laughs> problem solve or target, do obstacles at the mounting block, etc. I haven't hauled off property in a few years, but previously it would take eight plus hours to get my horse in the trailer, and sometimes uh, he would walk right in, and sometimes it would take eight hours. Uh, this was prior to my knowledge of positive reinforcement, and we used fear and force tactics that I'm not interested in doing now. I was thinking about sending to him to a trainer for this issue, but there are no positive reinforcement uh, trainers that I know of in the area. Uh, Northeast Ohio, if you can help a sister out. Um, if anybody knows a positive reinforcement trainer in Northeast Ohio, feel free to shoot me a message and I will uh, let you know. Or, um, yeah, that might be the best way. Just shoot me a message and I'll pass the information along to Harley here. Um, but also, Harley, you can look at the trainer map that's on my website that I talked about earlier. Um, okay. She writes, I would like to get him more comfortable loading to potentially trail ride, show, etc., but mostly, most importantly, in case of emergency. Thanks for your help and always educating me on how I can do better for my horses. You are welcome. So, um, a few places to start for additional resources. You can grab um, the Humane Science-Based Horse Training uh, book by Elise Vieard-Muckenstrom, I believe. 
pardon the pronunciation, it is most likely wrong. Um, but that book has a section uh, over trailer loading uh, that breaks it down pretty well. And I don't think the book is terribly pricey. There are others that are more thorough that are probably more pricey. And there's probably a Hertha James book on it. There's a Hertha James book on everything. Um, but there's also um, a bunch of different books, which you can also find on my website um, under positive reinforcement and then books. But um, so, yeah, I do want to say first... Um, I'm all for using positive reinforcement with, um, you know, things that you and your horse are struggling with and maybe aren't working from a traditional standpoint. However, I do want to caution those listening, uh, against only using positive reinforcement for the things that your horse really doesn't like. Um, because if you think about it, (laughs) um, you're only using the training with appetitives for aversive things. So, you know, the appetitives could eventually take on a more aversive, um, association. So like if the horse starts associating the treats and, or scratches with having to, I don't know, go in the cross ties or having to see the vet or whatever, you know, if you're only using it in those really bad, like scary circumstances, um, then the horse is like, well, I want the food and I want the treats, but I'm scared or I really don't like when that happens. And, uh, now I just rather not. Um, so, you know, make sure you're balancing with some fun things and, um, you know, maybe replacing some, uh, traditional cues with positive reinforcement ones, you know, just keeping it a little more diverse. So you're not only working on things that the horse is afraid of or worried about, but, um, this one says that they're like doing articles and targeting obstacles and targeting and stuff like that. So I just throwing that out there. Um, okay. Anyway, so let's see. Um, I would say how to start. It's, it's always difficult to like really give advice on things like this, especially when it's kind of an environmental thing. Cause I don't know what your place looks like, but if you can't do it at Liberty because it's hilly, um, you know, you can do it while you're attached to the horse, but, um, you know, if you're not really on a timeline here, um, I would do some other things first. I think some people go straight to, um, you know, just working on walking directly up into the trailer. And I think some horses that's perfectly fine. Other horses, I don't think that will work every time because seeing the trailer itself is already aversive. Um, so, uh, I am actually intending on doing an episode on this later, talking about my um, client that I've been working with on this. Um, But if if you're able, what we did that was super helpful is me and my dad built a pedestal, which sounds like a lot of work, but it took like an afternoon and now I have it forever. Um, But I think it's like, I don't know, like maybe two foot by like four foot or three foot. I don't know. I'm really bad at estimations, but it's, it's a big rectangle. And, um, we use that with my client to help her. Um, it was kind of coincidence. I I didn't build it for that client, but it just happened to work out that way. But, um, anyway, so we got that all situated and, 
brought her out. And at first she was great with it and she would put her front feet on it, but she wouldn't put her back feet on it. And then we had to do quite a, a bit of a workaround because to me, the issue seemed like she wasn't super confident with maneuvering her back feet without them just following the front feet. So we did a lot of work over poles and stuff. Eventually she walked right up onto the, the block and, or the pedestal. And, um, we did on, off, on, off, forward, backward, sideways, blah, blah, everything. And got her really good at that. And then we put up, um, like T posts on the sides of it and lead ropes on the side. So it was a little more confined and she had to like walk through a chute and then, um, eventually put that in front of the trailer and just did it by the trailer and then did it, you know, into the trailer, worked all the way up to it. And like I said, you can do that while you're attached to the horse with a lead rope. I would just not, like, it can be really easy to want to grab it and just apply a little bit of pressure. (laughs) But um, I think the really important thing when working with horses that are afraid is to let them choose and to tell you when it's too much. And, um, you know, like, don't, don't ask them to do more than they are willing to do on their own. So, um, you know, I would just, just have it there so that they don't run away. And if they start walking away, follow them, you know, just go with them. And then when you are able, get them back on targeting and following you back. And if it's not happening that day, it won't happen that day. You know, go do something else. You don't have to work on trailering every single day. Um, and you know, if you can't park it up to a fence, you know, you could always park the trailer in the field. And, uh, if that's a possibility and then you could work with it that way. Um, but that's what we did. And, you know, this was a horse that was really, really nervous about the trailer And now she's walking in without a halter or lead rope on. And I actually have a video, I think, on my IGTV about it if you want to watch it. But, um, yeah, so basically I would go through and consider, um, you know, like your end goal behavior is getting the horse to walk onto the trailer and stand in there calmly. So that's what you need to happen. How do you get there? What does the horse have to do first? Do they have to, like, do they get caught easily? Do they walk out of the fence easily? Are they uncomfortable in the area where it's flat and you'll be working on the trailer? You have to get them, you know, comfortable and working positively with all of those things first before you get into the, um, the uncomfy situation with the trailer. So, you know, make sure you're doing it in an area where the horse is comfortable and happy and that might take training. But I really think that that is the best way to get horses over a fear of the trailer because escalating that pressure, making yourself scarier than the trailer, none of that is inspiring confidence and um, safety in the horse. The horse now just is like, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to get dead. So I better better get in. Um, But yeah, more to come on that later. I think I've talked about trailering a couple times on the podcast at this point. Um, and you can probably go to the podcast website and search up trailering and find a couple on it. Um, I guess I need to put that on the, on my website as well. Um, on jeticwithhiri.com under the equine education tab, there's a tab called topics. And then I'm slowly like, as they come up and I'm like seeing trends and people asking about them, or I, I have to research for an episode, 
Um, I, I, I'll just put it on my website so that I can just point you guys there. And, um, I have things like, I don't know, behavior, hoof care, um, equine shivers, kissing spine, like all the resources I've found for each of those topics. I just plug them in there and I update them sometimes, you know, if I find more on the whatever subject, but I need to do one for trailer loading because that is a huge issue. And, um, I've just been kind of putting it off because I have some content that I need to make about it. And I'm like, why would I do that before I've made my own? <laughs> but uh, I need to do that. So be on the lookout for that. That might might be approaching soon. Um, I can tell you guys, June is going to be a very busy month for me. I'm in two classes that end at the end of the month, as well as some other um, horsey classes that I'm working on and all of the content creation and also, yeah, my job. <laughs> so slightly drowning gonna take a sip for the record i am drinking gatorade um out of a mason jar (laughs) um okay moving on to question number four here from patron wilma t um hi jill my name is wilma t i just acquired an 11 year old rescue mare chloe with a lot of foot issues that are going to need pretty much daily maintenance and care however she hates the halter I've introduced positive reinforcement, manners, and targeting, which she's gotten the hang of beautifully, but I'm at a loss with how to recondition the halter. When she first arrived, she would pretty much run away if she saw it, and I'm assuming because over the previous month, she was in a kill pen, ridden with a halter, and then transported to quarantine, to a quarantine from, oh my god, to a quarantine facility from Louisiana to Texas, where she was held for three weeks, haltered for the vet and farrier, and finally transported to me in Arizona. So I can see why she has these negative associations. Also, side note here, I'm interjecting. Um, uh, Did she come from Bastrop, perhaps? Uh, Because, oh my God, Stanley Brothers? Bastrop, that is the worst, worst of the worst. They are, oh my God, I don't know how they haven't gotten shut down. The, like, the amount of blatant animal abuse that they have um, you know, like, um, trying to figure out how to say this, voluntarily posted to social media, um, things that the people do to the animals that result in the animals no longer being alive, um, and they're still not shut down is, like, insane to me. Um, anyway, moving on, please don't support killpins. I know we have had several killpin rescues, but we are no longer doing that and we will buy from auctions. Um, but my, my boss does have a bleeding heart though. So she's like, well, they're gonna die. So, um, understandable, but don't want to put more money in killpin pockets. It's just really unfortunate for the horses, but Anyway, moving on to the the question here. So I can see why she has these negative associations. I've also had to worm her, treat for ulcers, among other things. Again, negative associations. So this is where I am with training. I started by presenting the halter, just holding it in my hand, not opened or anything, and just clicking for calm behaviors. She no longer runs away, which is a win nonetheless around it. And after a little while, I try opening the halter, but she immediately starts pushing my arm and body away from her. So I go back to just calmness and try again. I've gotten her to put her nose in it a couple times, but then she throws her head back almost immediately and goes to pushing me away. Farrier visit is approaching along with more vet 
vet visits. I need to treat her for mud fever and thrush. Thrush, she's in pain and she will not pick up her feet. So I will like, I would like to at least have the halter be an okay experience without traumatizing her even more. How can I change my training to help her? What do I need to do to recondition the halter? Thank you for all that you do. So sorry to hear about Zoe. I know you guys will still be able to do great things together. Thank you. Um, okay. So that last thank you was mine, by the way. Um, not reading it. Um, okay. So several things here. Um, as far as thrush goes and things like with feet, I'm not a, a hoof professional, but yes, you do need to treat those things, but diet is going to be your biggest, biggest, biggest friend. Um, in that regard, um, sorry, I say I'm um so much. I'm thinking about like 18 different things. I'm going to see if I can quickly find my notes on thrush and whatnot. Um, I have notes on my phone entitled hoof notes wherever the frick it has disappeared to where did they go hoof notes okay um oh i did not put oh, i didn't put the episode shit i'm sorry i know it's from a um not feed room chemist i've been talking about that podcast too much lately it's from uh the humble hoof podcast um and um I would assume the episode title is something about thrush, but it has a lot of information about it and why like topical treatments aren't necessarily like the most effective. It's really a dietary kind of issue. So look into that and um, get the diet sorted and then you, it won't be such a, like a rush necessity kind of thing. But yeah. Okay. So Onto the halter. The first things I would do is like, you know, you've gotten all the medication in her and you've done what you've had to do. Like nobody's going to fault you for that. She probably will, but she is a horse also. Like, so she's, she's not going to understand why. And so you've done what you've had to do. There is no, no harm in that. You know, it's, it just is what it is. It's, it has to be done or the horse there's no, no more horse. (laughs) So, um, good on you. I know it's hard. I really, really, really do. I've had to do it before and it's not fun, but as far as the nudging and pushing goes, the first thing I do when things like that start happening is immediately get out of there, go back to protected contact. I know that nobody wants to do it because when I first heard about protected contact, I was like, I've been writing for over a decade. I do not need I do not need to have a fence between me and the horse. I got it. I'm fine. And then I realized how much easier and clearer you can be when the horse doesn't, like, suddenly you've cut, like, their the amount of behaviors they can do in half because you're not there anymore. You're on the outside. There's only so many things they can do. And so it really narrows uh, the behaviors that they try, and then they're more likely to be right quicker. So, uh, you know, by going into protective contact, you get a lot better at being in with them faster. So, um, I would immediately go back to protective contact. That is, it's huge for things like that. And even with horses, like in the past horses that I have worked with extensively, um, and then, you know, I've gone back and like, these are well-trained clicker horses, you know, the aforementioned horse that I was working on with trailering, like we had this horse jumping up on a pedestal at Liberty with nobody touching her, following a target over poles and around the arena, like doing all of this amazing stuff. And then, you know, when it rained, we were like, well, we should probably work on haltering because she will not (laughs) let you put a halter over her ears. 
um, and gets very twitchy about it. So, you know, it's raining. We can do that inside. So let's do that. And um, I I put her in the stall to do that. And I stood on the outside of the stall because like, and this is a well-versed clicker horse, but it makes it so much easier because you can just hold it out and ever all the focus is on the halter. The horse is not thinking about your body or really even their body. They're just focusing on this thing. Um, and beyond that, especially with a horse that has a bad association with halters, it, um, it puts them in a position where they can leave. They are not, you know, like it's not in with them. They like, they feel safe from you, from the halter and you can feel safe from them, especially if you're getting some like pushing and nudging. So I would definitely recommend doing it in protected contact, whether that means she's in a stall and you're on the outside or she's in her field or in a round pen or whatever. And just in a way that you are able to present the halter, but also be out of the way. So a lot can change in that situation. And, you know, you might put her in protected contact and then go to start this and that behavior is completely gone. Protected contact has a lot of really awesome psychological benefits, like I was saying about feeling safer. So um, I really, really recommend that in situations like this. Um, the other thing that I would say before you go jumping into this is uh, back up a little bit and replay it in your head because usually when you start getting those frustration behaviors, it's for one of two reasons. Um, one being that um, the horse is conflicted because, you know, she knows like, okay, it's, I, I know you want me to do something with this halter, but generally when I touch the halter, the halter goes on and then bad things happen. But in order to get clicked and treated, I have to do that. So there could be like an emotional or, um, you know, desire conflict going on. But um, that's that's one possibility. Another possibility could be that you're not very clear with what you're asking. So maybe when you hold out the halter, she's touching it, but you aren't clicking immediately when she touches it. So she's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm just nudging you because now I'm kind of frustrated, um, which is a polite expression of frustration, believe it or not, <laughs> it could be worse. But um, so maybe you're raising the criteria too much too fast. So you're holding out the halter, she's fine being around it now. And then she touches it, you've clicked for that a couple times. And maybe now you're asking for her to put her whole nose in it, or maybe you're asking her to touch it for two seconds instead of a second and a half. And you just, with stuff like this, especially fear issues, you have to work up so slowly. Um, but yeah, so take a moment, you know, 10 minutes out of your day and write down each little step. Like she needs to put her nose in it for three seconds, two seconds. How long is it going to take you? to buckle it, you know, um, and something that I'm pretty adamant about when I'm working with self-haltering horses is that if I, if I hold out the halter, they put their nose in it and I lift it to buckle it over their head or to slip it over their ears and their head comes up, my hand goes back down. I, I do not like to or want to train that way because the head lifting is a sign of, oh, I'm uncomfortable. What's happening? Um, I want the horse to be very comfortable and very clear that the goal is to keep their heads down. And um, that lifting that head is A, not what I'm asking, and B, I don't want them to be uncomfortable. So 
um, you know, I lower my hands back down and then click them just for staying in it. And then the next time around, I will just click them for staying in it. And then I'll ask again, put their nose in it and then lift it a smidgen and click for their head staying still. I don't go all the way up. I don't slip it over that time. I just ask for a little bit and a little bit and a little bit until, and like the goal with raising criteria is to get the behavior consistent before you raise it. So just because the horse has done it once, you know, when you raise a criteria, doesn't mean you get to raise a criteria now again. It means you get to play with that particular piece of criteria in a variety of different ways. Like, cool, you can now, I don't know, have the horse put their head in the halter. But can you ask from the left? Can you ask from the right? Can you ask for two seconds? Can you um, ask if you ask again? You know, if you ask three times in a row, is the horse still going to do it? Is it consistent or is did it just happen? Um, so not allowed to raise criteria until the horse is getting it. And, you know, you can always take breaks, leave a little pile for the horse, um, take a brain break. You can work on something else for a little bit. Um, but that is what I would say. Uh, I would also work with this horse particularly on doing other behaviors and not just, um, focusing on the halter because it sounds like it's been something that's kind of tricky for her and everything's been about vet visits. So if you aren't already, I would just pick some fun, you know, maybe trick training behaviors, um, to work on just to balance it out a little bit. So you don't get that, you know, nasty association with clicker training where it's just like, Ugh, I'm having to do this every single time. <laughs> every time this human comes out, they're putting the stupid halter on me. And in order for me to get the snacks that I want, I have to put on this stupid halter that usually ends with me having to hold my feet or being injected with needles. Um, but yeah, I hope that helps. I think that's all I have for that one. So question number five comes from patron Grace. Grace writes, hi, Jill. How would I go about retraining a horse to ride that has been a pasture pet for the last four years? Seven years ago, my dad got a two-year-old quarter horse named Snickers, and we started training and riding her. I would compete her English and Western, and he would ride her on trails. Three years ago, I started college and couldn't ride her as often, and my dad didn't feel comfortable as she'd always been a little spicy. So now I have four horses and want to get back into riding and training her as my dad's feeling a bit left out. I know she's still got potential to be a good horse for him. Um, Snickers has always been really herd bound as we used to only have two horses that went everywhere together, competitions and trails alike. Even with four horses, she's always the one to get nervous when her buddy goes absolutely anywhere without her, even if it's simply putting on a halter and bringing her to the barn to be brushed. I know helping her through her anxiety is obviously going to be a huge part of bringing her back into work. And I want to make sure I do it right without causing any more undue stress to her. Two months ago, I stopped stalling my horses entirely, and it's done wonders for her mentally. Yay. They all get turned out with free choice hay, 24-7, timed grass pasture outings, plus small grain meals two times a day. That's awesome. Um, at the moment, I'm working her on relaxing with taking treats. Big handfuls of alfalfa are really helping her as she has to chew a lot, and that helps her think and calm down. She also loves carrots, so I use those as super high-value treats when she likes out big... And Oh my God. When she lets out big size and relaxes her neck and back. I do see that her eyes and mouth are tight. Um, oh, and even though she relaxes. Okay. Oh, I just skipped a whole. Wait. Okay. <laughs> I just got very confused. Um, 
She also loves carrots, so I use those as super high-value treats when she lets out big sighs and relaxes her neck. She's extremely expressive in her face and mouth, and even though she does relax her neck and back, I see that her eyes and mouth are still tight. I'm not very well-versed in positive reinforcement, but I know that probably the best way to get her back to being calm and happy to work with me is to use it. Um, So there is an update with this one as well. I started treating Snickers for ulcers on a hunch and it's made a massive difference in her personality. She has been so much more relaxed during turnout to the point where she will be the last horse to come in for grain and doesn't rush at all. I'm so happy. I got busy and haven't been able to work with her one-on-one for a few weeks, but I'm really excited uh, to start back. Okay, so awesome that, of course, when horses are being like anxious or aggressive, my first thought is always ulcers. Um it's almost guaranteed when you have a horse who's being aggressive or anxious that that level of stress is going to give them ulcers. Um, but so it seems like the, the herd bound issue has kind of resolved, but on the topic of separation anxiety, I do think I finally created a tab on my website about that. You know, I was just talking about trailer loading so if you go to jeticwithery.com, equine, edu, topics, and scroll down, you'll find um, separation anxiety. And I'm looking at it right now. And I have the definition, courses and webinars about it, blog posts, um, podcasts, and a video. So uh, I will be updating that as I get more resources and whatnot. And also, I should say, too, if you guys have any resources on some topics, don't hesitate to email those to me. Um, my email is equitheory at gmail.com. If you've like done a, a lot of research into a particular topic on horses, please shoot it to me and I'll plug it into the website if, you know, after I corroborate it, if I think it's, you know, something that deserves to be on there because um, I can only do so much researching and it's kind of been a um, like as needed basis. So if, if you like have a bunch of links saved in your phone or whatnot, and you're like, I feel like a lot of people would benefit from knowing this. Don't hesitate to shoot me like a list of links and stuff. Um, I, I do have a list in my phone that has been sitting there for about a, a year that I have yet to do. Um, <laughs> but that is on my agenda as well. And I might do that tonight now that I've just remembered I have it. But um, yeah, so if you also have resources on separation anxiety and things like that, feel free to send it my way. But um you know, patron Grace, if you're still struggling with that, I would look into it. Um, Fair Horsemanship, who is Elise, who I mentioned earlier with the Humane Science-Based Horse Training book, has a webinar that you can purchase all about it. Um, Separation anxiety, I mean. But on how to retrain a pasture pet, um, I have a series up called Riding with Positive Reinforcement. It's a four-part series that I did with Kane Meyer, and we walked you guys through pretty much how to get started with that. So um, it seems like this question has been kind of answered because the separation anxiety went away, and you've seen um, her relax a lot, and now you just kind of want to get back into it. So yeah, I would really just say... Make it a positive experience. Go slow. Everything takes as much time as it takes. Um, there is no general timeline. I would um, I would go back and listen to those episodes. I believe that was in season three towards the end there. Um, 
but yeah, it seems like you're doing a fantastic job. You know, I mean, you're talking about using a lot of or a high rate of reinforcement or a big reinforcer at the beginning to help lower that anxiety using different value reinforcers um, to reinforce calm behaviors. All of that is amazing. So you're doing great. Um, let's go to question number six here. We're at an hour and 10 and uh, <laughs> we got these last two questions here. Um, I'll let you guys know now that next week um, on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever I decide to post, <sighs> so burpy. I will be answering a question from another patron. However, it's kind of like it's a full page of an intro and then like eight questions that also have sub questions. So I was like, that is just going to have to be its own episode. So I will get to that one next week. Um, I'm excited to get into it because it's kind of like a lot. So yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting episode that's less like specific behavior and more like philosophy, ethics, my opinion on uh, training and things like that. But um, anyway, oh, it's thundering. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into question number six here from an anonymous patron. Hello, I'm 13 and currently lease a 22-year-old mare pony. She has a lot of anxiety about feed time, uh, grain specifically, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, I did reorder this question a little bit, so it made some more sense. So sorry if it's still kind of <laughs> jumbled, um, but I wanted like each section to be with itself. But I just want to say thank you, uh, and Shelby Dennis have helped me so much with learning about positive reinforcement and working with my four-year-old. Um, with a positive reinforcement based training. So you're very welcome. But um, this 22 year old mare pony. Okay, so a little background. First, I just want to say that she lives with me and I have complete control over her. So she is practically like my own. She was in pretty moderate five day a week riding schedule, flat dressage only. I was planning on taking her to a rated show in our area and then take the month off of lessons to work on more groundwork, positive reinforcement, treat for ulcers, and get some Cairo and massage done. Absolutely wonderful. Love to hear that. That needs to be everyone's plan. <laughs> um, okay, basically just make sure she was comfortable and then restart her from the ground up riding because she was basically just stressed about everything in her life relating to work. Good on you for understanding that. However, I feel like this is about to take a turn because <laughs> this is the background. Okay. After the show, I treated her for ulcers, but then she got a soft tissue injury and I had and had to go on stall rest and is still in it. It's been about two months. She was very stressed in the beginning, so the ulcer treatment did not help. So I will be retreating re her when she's out, but she is a lot less stressed now. Anyway, I could go on with the backstory forever, but I'll get to the point. Currently, I have just been working on grooming and some other basic stationary behaviors to help her when I bring her back into work. This is being done with positive reinforcement. She is so much happier than she used to be, um, but she has always been so stressed with grain and feeding time, and I want to do something about it now. She has hay 24-7 and has fed lots of hay pellets when training, but you cannot touch a grain bucket without her losing her mind. This happens no matter where you are and what you are doing. She is only fed a half a pound of beet pulp with her ulcer preventative and allergy medicine in the morning, so she is not on a high-grain diet. I have plenty of time to work on this because I'm obviously not doing a whole lot else with her right now. Do you have any suggestions on how I can reduce her stress with grain time? Thank you. Okay, awesome, first of all. Amazing message, uh, especially being 13 and doing all of that and having this understanding is 
absolutely fantastic. Go you, dude. You are on the right track. Um, so sucks about the soft tissue injury. That's just going to be stressful. Um, so Shelby, Dennis, and I actually did an episode called Stalling versus Turnout where we argued against stalling, but also, um, discussed some options for horses that are on stall rest. Um, something that I think you could do is what I just did for Zoe when she was on stall rest after her kissing spine surgery. Um, I got her a little treat dispenser ball and a slow feed hay ball. So since she's, um, you know, had kissing spine surgery, everything she does now is like strictly with her head on the ground. She does not have her head in the air ever. So I don't use hay nets or anything like that anymore. Um, everything's on the ground. So I would put um, alfalfa, which I believe, you know, it, it alfalfa is kind of a tricky one, but um, I believe it coats the stomach. Um, it's a longer stemmed hay and helps prevent the, the ulcers. Um, and you can also use things like aloe vera juice to help coat the stomach. Um, and... Yeah, so those those are some things that you can do to, um, you know, help by way of ulcers. So um, I wouldn't say that, like, her being stressed in the whole time of being on stall rest means that you just need to wait till she's out to treat her for ulcers. What I did with Zoe is I had her on um, a gastroguard treatment until she was... Um, until she was off her butte. So, you know, she, I had to butte her on a regimen every day and, um, t- twice a day at the beginning and then once a day after that. And I had her on ulcer guard while she was on that. And then I moved her onto stride animal health's lifeline plus supplement. And, um, I have not seen a change in her demeanor at all between the two. And there's a podcast called The Feed Room Chemist. I told you guys earlier on a different question that I always end up talking about this podcast. Um, But there is an episode about ulcers and they talk about why this supplement is good and also give you a breakdown on omeprazole products and why they may not be the best and like all the science behind all of that. So I would recommend you, Anonymous Patron, look into that episode so you learn a little bit more about ulcers because I found it to be extremely helpful in understanding that. And so uh, you can also feed that like daily. <laughs> so it makes it a lot easier to um, to like stay on top of it. And that way you don't also have to give like an oral nasty ulcer supplement that they never like. Um, you said that you were feeding an ulcer preventative, but some of them, I have a hard time believing a lot of them work, but the stride animal health one, I have seen amazing results with in every horse that we've used it on. And, um, it's the lifeline plus supplement specifically, but the feed room chemist podcast will give you the full breakdown on that. It's one of their earlier episodes. Um, Dr. Jimmy Nichols is incredibly thorough and wonderful and that podcast is amazing. So listen to it. Um, yes. Okay. I got off topic talking about podcasts that I like. Okay. So like I said, probably would not wait until she's just off stall rest. Cause she's probably just going to be uncomfy that whole time. If she does have ulcers. Um, 
But like I said, there are some things you can do like feeding a supplement like that, or you can, um, use like things like aloe vera to maybe help. I'm really not sure about the science behind that. I need to look into that. It's only in times like these when I'm like recommending something that I'm like, do you know, (laughs) like, let's, we'll fact check that later. Um, but anyway, I would say using a hay ball, um, like I did with Zoe, I would put hay and some alfalfa mixed in there just so like, you know, there's some like regular stuff and some goodies and, um, she would have to like push it around and get it out and it takes a little bit of work. So it kept her busy and foraging and like interested and not just bored standing in a stall worrying, um, I also got her a treat dispenser ball and mixed alfalfa pellets and Timothy pellets in that. You could also feed her grain in that. Um, You know, if the bucket is the problem, like, you could just get rid of the bucket, you know, and feed her in something else that doesn't make sound, and then you could just eliminate the stressor altogether. However, you do run the risk of her finding a different predictor, because right now the bucket is predicting that food. Um... But it, it could be, um, you know, she could find something else. So, you know, what you want to do is, um, actually, let me, let me look at this real fast. You said she so stressed with feeding, um, without her losing her mind. So, yeah, I don't, you don't specify anonymous patron exactly what she's doing, Um, so I'm assuming it's something like weaving or pacing or like running install, hollering, something like that. Um, so if there's a way that you could present the food to her when she is not in that state, um, that would probably be the best thing to do because you can inadvertently create kind of a superstitious behavior where, Um, I'm not sure if I'm using that correctly, but she thinks that her behavior is causing the, um, the appearance of food. So a lot of horses will do this with things like pawing. They'll paw and kick the stall door and then the barn feeder who has their headphones in, doesn't care, is just dumping feed. The horse is thinking that their pawing is leading to food. So, um, when in reality, the behavior actually has no effect over whether or not the horse gets the food. So, um, you could have her do something else. Um, this would obviously need to start not during feed time. Like you would have to teach her to do the thing when it's not feed time, when she's less stressed. Um, and maybe you do some work with the buckets, maybe find something that's kind of like the bucket, but not really the bucket and doesn't produce the same, um, behaviors. And then you can gradually work up to the bucket, you know, have her do something else like target it, um, so that the bucket has some different associations and you break up that like really strong, this means food, it's time to panic associations. Um, maybe you bring it out at other times, um, while, you know, ideally while she has like a hay ball, a slow feeder, um, and some other things to like forage around with. Um, And, you know, obviously being careful that you're staying within her dietary restrictions, but those things will help. Um, And like the Timothy pellets, like if alfalfa is too much for her because she is a pony, I just remembered, um, you can use like Timothy hay pellets 
that are not like super high in sugar and wouldn't be more than she's grazing on. Um, so, you know, just making sure that she has constant access to food will really lower how important her food, um, her grain is. Um, but yeah, hopefully some of those ideas help. It's kind of, it's always hard to answer these these questions when I don't know the environment or like what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. That's why I prefer the calls and the uh, Zoom Q&As. But, you know, like this is nice for the listeners because you guys wouldn't be a part of that always, you know. Not everybody can always join the Zoom Q&As and whatnot. But, um, yeah, so... Okay, I think that is it for question number six. I hope that helps, anonymous patron. Let's get into question number seven here. Okay, guys, I'm actually like super proud of myself because I got up and took another break. That's my second break during this episode. And I actually came back within like 10 minutes and I'm finishing it. That's crazy because usually when I take breaks, it's four hours. See you later, maybe? Question mark actually forgot to finish the project and yep but I am here and I'm doing this this message is very long um so it was hard not to procrastinate but I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it for you patron Zoe only because you are named buddies with my horse (laughs) I kid I kid or do I um also Uh, Before I get into it, and uh, we are nearing the end of the day here, I think I took my ADHD meds at like, um, oh, I don't know. What time was that? Probably 9 a.m. It's 7 p.m. They are not with us any longer. They were for the beginning of this episode. It was very professional and like bland. And now I'm feeling rather colorful, okay? And uh, so... I also just kind of, I don't know why I feel like I want to talk about this, but um, I don't think I ever, I might have, have had, might, had, oh God, I'm having a stroke. Um, Okay, so when I record the podcast episodes, I pick my fingernails really bad, like really, really bad. Um, I think they're called BFRBs, Body Focused Repetitive Behaviors, and I have always picked at my cuticles, but like... I've noticed since I've started podcasting that, oh my God, it's so bad when I podcast. Like, I mean, I I won't even notice. And then I'll look down and I'll, like three of my fingers are bleeding and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that's not good. So um, I have recently become aware of, thanks to TikTok, you know, the motherboard of information, Um, that they have these things called fidget rings that are like cute little rings that have things that you can move around on so you can play with things while you, you know, you do the things, uh, so you don't have to kill your cuticles. So, um, I have some that are on the way that I ordered from Etsy and, um, cause I don't trust like ordering from TikTok, but, um, yeah, so I'm really excited to get those in so that I will no longer be destroying my fingernails cause they look absolutely disgusting. Um, but anyway, we are going to get into question number seven from patron Zoe, um, whose question is a blend of horse related life stuff and a training thing. So short backstory, um, Zoe writes, I grew up riding at one barn for 10 years with the main trainer and used a blend of positive and negative reinforcement as I've read more books on equine care and behavior. 
a lot of that trainer's actions have aligned with these theories, which is fantastic. By the time I was 18, end of the 10 years, I left for college and stopped writing. At 20, I'm finally picking it up again with the coach uh, for the university's newly formed eventing team. I'm stuck in some odd places in regards to this new trainer, and I'm really not sure how to handle it. So I'm in a position to own a horse, um, and I've been searching for lease options. This new trainer has offered the opportunity to lease one of her lesson horses, but I don't feel like it's the right fit for me. In my opinion, her lesson horses are worked a bit harder than they should be for their age, but she uses frequent vet care to keep them sound, hawk, SI injections, Prevacox, etc., Um, after riding them a few times and observing them being ridden, I've noticed the lesson horses exhibit a lot of stress behaviors and commonly display naughty behaviors when under saddle. My previous trainer would commonly label certain behaviors as, uh, naughty, but would also push her riders to figure out why the horse did this certain thing and address it. The new trainer, who is the current one, uh, the university's, uh, trainer, uses more traditional approach of punishing them, and I find this rather worrisome as many of those behaviors could easily be fixed by going back to basics rather than continuing to ask the same question louder and louder. It would not be the Equitheory podcast if I was not burping while trying to read a question. So professional, oh my god. Um, (laughs) This difference in fundamental training ideology between my trainer and I has driven me to want to pursue a private lease rather than one of her lesson horses. This way, I have more agency in how the horse is ridden, and if slash when I notice naughty behaviors, I'm able to address them in my slash my old trainer's way. I found a great mare owned by a professor at my university, and she said she'd be open to possibly leasing her to me. Um, This professor is currently conducting research on the effects of positive reinforcement and clicker training, so the horse has likely been restarted with these principles. From what I've read and seen, the mare would be a fantastic fit for me, and in talking with my old coach, she believes the same. The major issue is the current trainer. I finally ripped off the band-aid and emailed her that I would prefer to lease this mare instead of one of her lesson horses. The gist of the email is in the Discord server. If you'd like more specific on what I said, so sorry. Nah, I have not gotten there. (laughs) I meant to do that, did not, Um, but that's okay. I can get the gist from this. If you'd like more specific on what I said, it is important to note that when I was listing why I'd rather lease the mare, I said it's because of her jumping capabilities. I'm better at flat work and she's a better uh, jumper, so we can help each other out. Um, Oh my God, I feel like I need to sneeze. (coughs) Why? (laughs) Why do I have to sneeze? That's so random. Oh my God. Okay. Um, I haven't sneezed in like two weeks and I, okay. Um, All of the body functions on this podcast. Okay. So basically she told the coach that she wanted to lease this horse because it's a talented jumper and that way she can build the skill. So Um, She continues, the trainer initially responded saying she's willing to coach me on any horse I secure. And when I asked for help in the process, she got back to me saying I was focusing too much on jump height and that I should go with one of her lesson horses instead. I'm not really sure how to insist on leasing this mare without completely destroying our relationship. I hate making uh, things difficult. And in my original email, I was too scared to list the other reasons I mentioned above and her lesson horses and their treatment. Is there a way I can nicely say that I would like to pursue this mare? My gut wants me to mention the welfare stuff, but my brain thinks I might be offending her and destroying the relationship. So, um, long question. I did go through this one um, and, like, cut out some stuff. So, um, but I felt like a lot of it was relatable and, like, useful to consider because I think a lot of people have either gone through this or might go through this at some point. Um 
you know, because it is, our industry is predominantly dominated by, um, you know, force-based training um, that tends to view horses as, um, you know, disobedient heathens rather than, like, the reasonable creatures. So it's like, um, it's just, it's frustrating hearing things like this, like the, there's this university coach that's like, I mean, I get it. I know why people overwork their lesson horses. We all understand that. It is not easy having your business bank on, you know, like having three horses is insane. And depending on your location can be crazy expensive. So like, if and also if you're depending on them for your own livelihood like that's really difficult to not be tempted to overwork them so I get it but that doesn't make it okay um and I'm sure those horses do not give a shit <laughs> that her livelihood depends on it they're like why am I being worked in excess um so it's great that she's giving them vet care and you know um the bare minimum <laughs> like I mean I guess I guess some people don't meet like okay here's the thing like when people say like well they do all of this stuff for the horse like they make sure that it's not in pain constantly it's like that is the bare minimum like why is it so common that like providing adequate vet care for a horse that's not 100 percent and requires some maintenance is somebody who goes above and beyond like mm, no no that is that is the the bar <laughs> it is on the floor um, okay, so anyway, um, I mean, it's, to me, it sounds like this, this horse that's owned by a professor um, who's studying positive reinforcement and clicker training is literally the most perfect situation you could ask for. Um, so there are a couple different ways you could approach talking to the old train or the uh, other, the actual trainer that you are not leasing a horse from. Um, so, um, you know, you could say, I mean, you could just have a conversation with her and just be like, look, um, I, I understand that you think I'm focusing too much on jump height and I understand how my email probably came across that way, but I actually just really like this horse. I've met her and been able to hang out with her or whatever, you know, and I just, I really like this horse and I, I want to give it a shot. Um, and if you want to take it a step further, you can, I mean, you can say like this professor is researching positive reinforcement and clicker training. And it's something that I'm really interested in, something that I've done a lot of research on. And I think that, you know, I might want to, to do in the future. So, you know, it just makes more sense for me to lease a horse that's already kind of going down that road so that, you know, while I'm learning that kind of thing, I don't, mess up any of your stuff with your horses you know I mean you could like I don't know sometimes when I'm trying to <laughs> you know uh cushion the blow with people st throwing in like little little flowers like that like I don't want to mess up what you've got going on because I'm incompetent I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> um it just makes it a little bit easier to swallow that you're not like I'm doing something better which sounds deceptive and it might be but like I don't know to me it's it's like the, what's going to go over better. And it's like, I don't know. At the end of the day, she's your trainer. She's not your leasee or anything like that. 
So, I mean, if she thinks you're focusing too much on jump height and that you should go with one of her lesson horses, you can still lease the other horse. I mean, you could show up to a lesson one day and be like, yeah, I decided to lease that professor's horse, so train us now. She's your trainer. Like, she's not going to be like, no, (laughs) you know? So, um, I know it's awkward because of that, like, interaction that she said you're focusing too much on jump height, which honestly, like, if we're all being real, is 100% a cop out and she just wants you to lease one of her horses. I mean, that's money out of her pocket for you to lease somebody else's. So, um, and like, that's fair, fine. I mean, she wouldn't be doing business well if she didn't do that, but you can write it off as that. Like she's trying to earn money more so than looking at you as somebody who's like not taking this seriously, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I wouldn't, um, approach it from like, well, you're not taking good care of your horses for X, Y, and Z reason because you will not win that battle. Um, That's only something that people can change their minds about if they want to. But um, I would essentially just say, you know, like I I do, I want to be a part of the team because I'm assuming you're a part of it. Um, You know, I... I want to work with you and train with you, but I would like to do some positive reinforcement stuff on the side. And, you know, it's not really my forte. And I think this professor would work with me because she's studying it. And um, I just think it would be good for me to network that way in the positive reinforcement clicker trainer world. Um, Or I really, really like this horse. I feel like we could do a lot of things together. I think she has a lot to teach me. And I know it's not all about jumping, but um, I would, I think I would feel really confident and comfortable learning from her. Um, you know, there's a lot you could say, so hopefully that's helpful. Um, I know a lot of you guys out there are struggling with a situation similar to this, where it's just like, how do you politely say, no, thank you, traditional, I would like to do positive reinforcement. And I mean, you don't have to be necessarily super direct and a thousand percent honest. Cause I mean, like, it's not very nice to be like, actually your training methods are like quite abusive. And I don't think that you're giving your horses a fulfilling life because, uh, you know, you're not adhering to the principles of learning in the most ethical way that you could. Um, nobody's going to receive that. Well, everybody's going to get hurt by that. And, um, that is destructive. So, you know, I mean, really the best way to do things is to just lead by example and show instead of tell. I learned that the hard way (laughs) several times over, but, um, you know, I wish you good luck, uh, patron Zoe. I hope that it goes well for you. And, um, you know, just at the, at the end of the day, I know it's very hard in our industry to remember that we, we are paying these people, um, or they are like we are clients and they are not our parents or authority figures they do not have control over our lives and you are allowed to say hey no thanks i i respect your opinion and i understand that you have experience and expertise but i want to go a different direction like it's that's as simple simple as you can get Um, I feel like I am Plankton right now coaching Spongebob on assertiveness training. So, F is for friends who do stuff together. U is for you and me. N is for anywhere, anytime, and all night, here in the deep sea. If you didn't sing with me, get off my podcast. Stop listening right now. (laughs) I'm kidding. But, okay, guys. Um, I have taken so many breaks during this podcast episode. I have taken phone calls. I have fed horses. I have taken food breaks and walk breaks. 
it is time for me to end it. It's only an hour and a half long. Oh my God. How do I do three hour episodes sometimes? That is genuinely mind boggling. Um, okay. Anyway, I am going to go ahead and call it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, if you want to become a patron of the podcast, please feel free to do so. Um, you can ask any and all of your training and behavior questions and they will be answered in a format very similar to this. Um, also, if you guys would not mind, be sure to follow me on all of the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, at Jet Equitheory and Equitheory. Um, I mentioned my website several times in this episode. So if you know anybody that's looking for some resources or you yourself are, check that out. And also something else that I'm going to ask of you guys, a lot of you are really, really good at this already, but if you wouldn't mind, please share the podcast with, um, you know, your friends or your barn mates, post it to your story on your socials and tag me. You can use the hashtag Equitheory podcast and tag the podcast and I will see it and do my best to repost it um, on my story as well. But um, yeah, I just, I want to, I want to get it out there. I want to grow it a little bit more. So um, another thing you can do if you want to help grow the podcast a little bit more is to rate and review it. I believe you can do that on iTunes. I don't know if there are other places that you can do that. I don't think you can like rate on Spotify, but um, if you can figure it out and do it. Okay. <laughs> I love reading the reviews that you guys leave on the podcast and um, it just it means a lot because it does take a lot of time and a lot of effort but um, I hope that these episodes were helpful to you guys and you enjoyed enjoyed your listen so with that said I will leave you guys thank you so much for listening and I will catch you guys next Wednesday and or Tuesday possibly okay bye (laughs) 